Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Pride, Two Under, Zexio, Sun Mountain Golf Bags, Finn Scooters, Making the Game More Fun, Bionic Gloves, and the McLemore Club. Experience life above the clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. My thanks to all of you again for voting for the show and getting us up to number 14 in the Podcast Magazine Hot 50 list for the month of August. Please keep voting by going online to podcastmagazine.com and clicking on Hot 50. Need your help to achieve the next milestone, which is getting the show into the top 10 for the month of September. Thank you so much for the moments that you are taking to go vote and for your support overall these months. I really appreciate it very much. Tonight, we've got a great show on tap for you. Our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, is back. Tonight, we'll talk about Tony Finau's big win yesterday and what it means for his career and the potential spot that he might have now on the Ryder Cup team. We'll also get some playing lessons from Tom, including how to get it out of the greenside bunker and give ourselves an opportunity to save par. Plus, should distance or accuracy be more important to many of us who can't drive the ball over 300 yards, no matter what we do? Should we be aiming for 10 or 15 yards more in distance? Or tighter accuracy and getting it on the short grass more often. We'll hear what Tom thinks about that and a whole lot more when he joins me in a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from Frank Nabilo. Frank is always such a great guest on the show. I always enjoy spending time with him. Tonight, I'll get his thoughts on the Northern Trust Tournament that uh, just played out here yesterday. And then what the U.S. Ryder Cup team needs to be consistently competitive with the European team. What they really need to do this time around to win. We'll also go back and hear about his win at the 1997 Greater Greensboro Open over a field filled with future Hall of Famers, plus the stray golf ball that hit Frank right over the top of his left eye while he was at his home at Lake Nona back in Orlando many years ago and how that impacted his career, plus the great things that Frank is doing with the Navalo Foundation for kids in and around the Orlando area. Looking forward to having Frank back as part of the show. He'll join me about 25 minutes from now. Following him, I'll catch up with 2019 Champions Tour Player of the Year, Scott McCarran. Scott recently underwent foot and ankle surgery, but that hasn't slowed him down at all. If you've checked him out on social media, you'll see why I say that. Even with his left leg bent at the knee to keep weight off of his foot, Scott's got a peg strapped to his shin so he can hit golf shots in his home simulator. We'll talk about that, plus his recovery. I'll also get his thoughts on the Ryder Cup, and we'll look ahead to the 2022 season. Scott will be with me about 45 minutes from now. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a visit from Linda Harto. Linda is one of the best golf landscape artists on the planet. She's the only artist to be commissioned by the USGA and the RNA to paint courses for both the U.S. Open and the Open Championship. She's also done great work featuring other iconic courses like Augusta National, Pebble Beach, St. Andrews, just to name a few. We'll hear about all that and a whole bunch more when she joins me about an hour from now. 
So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. And thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends over at the Macklemore. As you guys know, my buddies and I went up there for our annual golf trip, and it was simply amazing. Everything about the place is first class. With great accommodations, the practice facility is wonderful, the on-premise restaurant called The Craig has outstanding food and service, and of course, it lived up to every expectation that we had. Can't say enough great things about it. Go online to themacklemore.com to see how spectacular the place is for yourself. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones, and our friend and one of our uh, guests from last week, tour caddy Kip Henley, said, Outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. And Golf Digest agreed, naming it the best finishing home in America since 2000. See why we're all saying that by checking out the course and the resort online at themacklemore.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf balls. High draw? Check. Low fade? Check. Bump and run out of the sander flop shot? Check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better than them all, and that's the new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With a newly redesigned dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf, no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit it high over the trees, under or even through them, hit TP5 or TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, now back is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. For everyone up in the Virginia, West Virginia, or Washington, D.C. areas, go see Tom at Farmington Country Club in Charlottesville, Virginia, and become the next student that Tom coaches up to a championship level. If you can't go see him in person, download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your golf swing. He can help get you dialed in through the app. Please check out his website, TomPatry.com, and give him a follow on Twitter and Instagram at TomPatryGolf. Don't forget to subscribe to his YouTube channel where he's got nearly 200 free playing lessons for you there. Tom is also a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board, and it's always great having him with me here on Next on the T. Hey, TP, how are you, my friend? What's up, Tommy? Chrissy, I, I was out in that lesson today for, let me just get the jack. I think I said seven today. Uh, Five and an hour break in two. It was 96 degrees. The heat index was about 104, and and your man feels like a French fry. Without <laughs> you, do I don't know how you do it, brother. I mean, that's got to be brutal being out in the heat like that uh, for uh, six, yeah, seven, eight, nine it's, hours, it's, whatever it is. It's not that. It's only been 41 years, Chris. It's not that bad, you know. <laughs> Good for you, my friend. All right, let's get started. I want to get right into it because I want to get your thoughts on Tony Finau's big win yesterday. It's only been 1,975 days since his first <laughs> win on tour. And since that win, and we know he's got a slew of top tens in between this win and that first win, but a constant stream of questions about when is win number two going to happen? When are you going to get over them? All that sort of stuff. And that's all over now. What does this win do for him? First of all, you know, we got to be fair to Tony. He, not only a bunch of top tens, Chris, but, you know, a couple, bunch of runner-ups. And, you know, he, he, he blew a couple coming down the stretch. He played great in a couple coming down the stretch and got beat by a better player or, or a better round of golf at the end. He, you know, he's played some great, great golf the last few years. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know Tony Fino, but I'm a big Tony fan. And I, it, nothing made me happier than 
him finally pulling it off. Now, not only did he win a, another event, but he, he won a won a pretty you know a pretty big event here in the playoffs, and I think that was the boost of confidence he'll need that that really you know and he, and listen he, and he and he did a hell of a job in the back nine coming in against a great field and a, and a John Rum that was playing pretty good. So I gotta believe this kind of pushes him over the over the mountaintop, and and you'll see this happen again a lot in a lot quicker. Number three will come to number two game, and I, but I'm. I think it was great for golf. Great, you know, so many people pulled for the guy. You watch him on social media. He's got so many followers and people that are just cheering him on. So I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoked for him. Yeah, as am I. And you know, the the smile. I love the smile. Guy's so positive, and he's got a great smile. He just seems like a great person. Tom, I'm going to keep asking you this question as we draw closer and closer to the Ryder Cup matches, but. The captain's picks are due the week following the tour championship, which means players currently ranked seventh and above have got two more tournaments to impress Captain Stricker. And here's the updated points totals right now, right? Here are the top six that would get automatic first. Colin Morikawa, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas, and Tony Finau now leaps into the top six with that win yesterday. Now, the next six, Tom, Xander Shoffley, Jordan Spieth, Harris English, Patrick Reed, Patrick Cantlay, and Daniel Berger. But there are other guys that uh, might have a case for themselves. I mean, Jason Kokrak has won twice this year, has has uh, Kevin Kisner, the, both those guys, two wins. Webb Simpson, strong season, as always, great player. Scotty Scheffler, having a good season. He's played well. Um, your thoughts, and even, hey, let's not forget Phil Mickelson, right? He's got a major and what, what leadership qualities he might bring. But Captain Patrick. Who are the next six for you? You know, I I don't I don't envy Steve Stricker's position right now. So hard, you know, so many talented people. I I, I got to say, I like shop, I like Xander a lot. Um, you know, a whole bunch of the way he's playing. I think he's so poised and, and so talented. And, and and certainly in these kind of situations, you need you need experience. Chris. I mean, you need you need good putting. You need a guy to keep the ball in play. Um, and, and, you, and you need some experience. And, you know, although I don't like when he drives the ball, man, I, I love, you know, I, I love good putters, right? You know, so, you know, Spieth has, you know, made a definite resurgence this year. He's putted the ball beautifully all year. He's got a lot of experience. So I, I was leaning towards those two a little bit, but, man, what a hard choice. And, and you know, with guys on the outside looking in, whether it's Kisner or Jason Kokrak, they're so far back. It, it, I don't know if a good conscience you can leapfrog them over so many guys and throw them on the team. You know, so many guys on the pointless just leapfrog guys. So he's got a tough decision to make. I'll tell you one thing that I wouldn't do, and I'd avoid at all costs. I, I, I the, the the whole Brooks Bryson thing. You, you got you got to get that thing settled before you know the matches start. You got you got to have some you know some continuity and. and and bring those guys together a little bit. Um, and, and then, you know, we, we, our friend Patrick Reed, obviously, is uh, is sitting in the hospital bed somewhere right now. Um, and, and although I'm not a Patrick Reed fan, as you know, he, he's he's great in those situations. Um, he's kind of the Ian Poulter, if you will, of the American team. So he's got a lot to decide. He's got a lot of thinking to do there. To that last point about Patrick Reed and, and the fact that he's got a serious pneumonia issue that he's dealing with right now, um, a guy that 
have, won't probably won't not will not have teed it up in a playoff tournament and may not tee it up again until we're ready for the Ryder Cup. Has has the illness played himself off the list? Do you do you risk a guy that may not have played in a tournament for three, four, five weeks, and then who knows what his strength is like and how long this hospital stay runs? But do you risk all of that and have him on the team? To your point, we all remember the putt that he made in the Rory uh, McIlroy match and the waving of the finger and all of that sort of thing. And and uh, what a great player he is usually during these kinds of events. Do you leave him off because you just don't know what you're going to get from him coming out of the hospital bed? I think, and this is, I'm sure Steve doesn't think this way because Steve's too nice and, and, you know, Tom's not very nice. But the other, the other point too, Christy, do you want Brooks Kepka, Bryson, and Reed, who are all can be hard cases in, in the team room or troublesome personalities? Do you want all three of them on the team? You need that much, you need that much drama in the team room. So this might be a perfect out for Steve in terms of Patrick and say, listen, you know, you haven't played in four or five weeks and I just can't, you know, I can't take the chance. I need a spot for somebody who's, who's sharp and has been playing a lot. Um, I still go back to the thing that these personalities on this team have to kind of come together. Um, we've, we've gotten our brains beat out more or less in, you know, probably in the last five, six or eight matches. Um, and there hasn't been a lot of continuity. And that's certainly something you need going into these matches. So that might be a perfect out for Steve right now. Tom, how much of filling out the team is gut feel and the person being a good presence in the team room versus stats like shots gained putting or shots gained around the green? How much of it is being a really good guy that you know, not only is he a great player, but he's going to be a good person to have in that team room? So I think I think the real advantage that Steve has, Chris, right now is that he's still playing good golf. He still plays some PGA Tour events. He's been out on, on the PJ Tour enough this year, even as a Champions Tour player, to see guys up close, to, to sit down and talk to guys and meet with them and, and kind of look them in the eye and, and, and get a feel for what, he, what he's looking for, what his, what in his thoughts and in his world, what the team should, you know, should be and how it should be made up. Um, I think you look at all those things you just mentioned, but at the end of the day, as a guy with as much experience as Steve Stricker has, you got to sit down quietly by yourself, and, and, and you got to you got to do a gut check, and you got to make a decision from your heart. Um, he, he's he's such an experienced guy, and such a great player himself. You know, I'm sure he has a pretty good idea of what he wants the team to look and feel like. Um, I think analytics aside, at the end of the day, you go with your gut. Tom, let's switch gears a little bit. And I know you're a Titleist guy, but how do you go about keeping up with? what other manufacturers are doing so that you can keep current with what's going on in the market, plus being able to compare things that maybe your students are using. Greatest ball in golf? Check. Number one driver on the tour? Check. Played by the greatest players in the world? Check, check, and check. Um, you know, I, I have to look at everything. Listen, whether it's TaylorMade or Ping or, you know, Cobra or, you know, Tricks on, or name anyone you want. This, I mean, Callaway. As as a teacher, um, you have to be up on all those things. And yes, I am a titles guy and I'm a loyal titles guy. But I'd be lying, and I would be lying if I said that everything that comes down the pike, I don't grab it and hit it and try it. Because when people come to me and ask me questions, I have to have answers. 
And, and am I prejudiced? I'm certainly prejudiced, no doubt about it. Am I loyal? Absolutely. But listen, different strokes for different folks. Everybody in the world doesn't fit into a titleist driver. It should, they just don't. Um, could they? Yeah, they could. But people have preferences. People have likes and dislikes. You know, there's certain clubs. You know, and the other thing about a club, Chris, when you're fitting a club is, the final thing I say to somebody when I fit somebody for a club is, when you look down at that club, you like what you're looking at. You know, some people like the aesthetics of a tailor-made driver. Some people like the aesthetics of a Titleist driver or a ping driver. I mean, you have to like what you're looking at. It's, it's, you got to look down at that club and say, you know, I can, I can hit this club. It looks good to me. So the answer to your question is everything that comes down the pike, I hit. And that includes putters. That includes wedges. That includes irons and woods and hybrids. Um, I make sure I put my hands on everything and hit it. So at least I know what I'm looking at, what it feels like, and what my experience has been with it. So when people ask me a question, I can I can be confident and ask and answer. So to that point, and you and you said this a couple of times, when you look down at it, you got to like what your eyes see. Talk about how much that sort of confidence in what I'm looking at it's too big, it's too thin, it's too whatever. Right? I may hit it great, but something about it puts a seed of doubt in the back of my mind. Talk about yeah, why that's think- important and how you overcome that. I think it's a big. I don't. I don't think you overcome it. I think. I think you find something you have to like to look at. You know, I. I'm, I'm not going to mention any names, but there's a lot of guys on tour right now that are playing, one set of irons and a different wood and a different driver and a different putter and different wedges and have a mixed bag. You know, back in the old days, Kristen, if you go back a long time ago, guys had only equipment product, equipment contracts. We didn't see, IBM on somebody's sleeve or or you know Coca-Cola on a bag or AT&T on a bag or anything like that. If you remember, the first guy that ever did that and, and did it in a big way was Raymond Floyd with the AT&T bag, you know. I'm sorry, it was Bell, I'm sorry, it was Bell South bag, Bell South bag. And all of a sudden said, wait a minute, Raymond's getting paid by a corporate sponsor because he wanted to put in his bag what he wanted to put in his bag as far as his equipment. So I'm very visual. Some people aren't. I'm extremely visual. So I have to look down at those clubs and really like what I'm looking at. And if I don't, I promise you, the fit might be perfect. The fit might be absolutely technically perfect. If I don't like what I'm looking at, I can promise you I can't hit it. I cannot hit it. You know, um, when when Titleist just changed driver generations not too long ago, the CSI, um, from the previous generation, it took me a little while to get used to the, the, the new TSI. It was a little bit different shape. I didn't mind what it looked like, but it was different. And it took me a little while aesthetically to look down at it and get really comfortable with it. And I have, I have come become very comfortable with it and hit it really well. But it took me a little while. It was a little bit different shape, a little bit different depth in the head. Um, the toe was a little shorter on the club than, than the generation before. And it, and it made a difference to me setting up to the golf club. Um, so those things do matter. And, and I think players are very, very picky about what they're looking at. So I think that's important. And you did that with your putter too, right? You had a putter that you used forever, and then well, Titleist well, came you, out with a with a different putter that had to get a little dicey, hard, way different from what you were used to looking at before. Yeah, it's funny, Chris. That's that's a great story. Actually, I putted with a a ping answer, the same exact ping answer from the time I was 11 years old until uh, three years, two years ago now, just over two years ago now, and I never putted with anything but a, but an answer putter. A ping answer, and I, I put a mallet, a mallet style putter in my hand one day, just messing around, 
from another company, just somebody I said, George Trinus, what do you think about this? And the student had handed it to me. And it was so easy to aim the mallet. It was incredibly easy to aim it, but it was a different company. And I said, I can't do that. And I went to the guys at Scotty, and I said, guys, you know, I've had an experience with this kind of putter. You know, I've never done this before. What do we got that, that's similar to this that I could try? And I got a Phantom 12.5 and put it down and absolutely loved it. It was so much easier to aim. Uh, the face material was, was a lot softer than I was used to. It felt better in the ball coming off the face. And it, and it just clicked for me. It just, it just clicked. And, and I've been putting with it now for um, just over two years. I, see, I'm not a guy that changes equipment a lot, and especially, uh, you know, I think the scoring clubs, you know, the wedges and the putter, you've got to be very, very careful about making big changes. So my wedge, my, my wedge specs from, from Vogue and my, and the putter, uh, and I, I've since gotten the backup for the putter. I've made sure I got two identical ones. Um, those are very important to me. They're very, very feel based. Uh, very, very, very picky about those things. Yeah, so the putter change was dramatic for me. You know, age 11 to age, you know, 59 and a half, the same putter. And, and, and now go to a totally different style putter, totally different sight line, totally different feel coming off the face. Um, but it, it clicked. It clicked. It, it's been terrific. Tom, I want to get some playing lessons from you tonight. And I want to start with something in your wheelhouse, short game. In particular, greenside bunker shots. I need help with that. Like, you know, I, unbelievable. Can't get the ball yeah. out, out of the bunker and onto the green to, to save my life. And for those of us who, that's all we want. Get me out of the, get me out of this bunker. Get me on the green. Give me an opportunity to save par. Walk us through the setup and the execution of that shot. You know, Chris, I think the first thing, I mean, there's a couple of basic things here about bunker play. People fear bunker shots because they don't, they don't hit very many of them. You know, we can go play, you and I can go play together, play five or six rounds of golf together, and we might go five or six rounds of golf and never hit it in a bunker. And we might play the seventh round and hit it in five bunkers in the same day. But if you haven't been practicing that shot or hitting a lot of those shots and you go, you know, you go a couple of weeks without hitting one or a couple of days without hitting one even, then all of a sudden you have one on the third hole or the fifth round you're playing, and you're like, oh, I haven't been in here in a while. You know, I don't have a feel for this. So the very first thing when I talk to club members about bunker play is, you know, get in the bunker every couple of days at your practice facility and hit some bunker shots. Just, you know, let's, let's just get in there and be familiar with hitting the shot, first of all. Next thing is, you know, if I go back and not so long ago, because, you know, it's just one generation removed, and you bought a, a sand wedge, okay, you know, back in the day, the highest lofty club you could probably buy was about 55 degrees. The bounce configuration back in the day was, so less, so much less sophisticated than it is today, and and people like Bob Vokey have taken you know the grinds of the club, the bounce configurations of the club, the shape of the face. Now we have lofts of you know we can, you can go up and get a sixty three degree L wedge if you wanted to. You can hit the ball and you, you hit the ball yourself in the nose with it. So the equipment has made things a lot easier. So equipment aside and repetitions aside, in terms of technique, people don't hit those shots using the trailing edge of the club enough. They have to understand that bounce is their friend. You've got to apply the bounce to the sand, not the leading edge to the sand. So I'm a big believer in more bounce, not less bounce, uh, especially for bunker shots. I, I, I talk about, you know, getting the face open, not to add loss so much, but open the face so the, so the trailing edge of the club 
is your friend and skids through the sand, whereas the leading edge digs too much. Um, I think now because of the adaptation of more bounce and more loft, you know, and, and going back to the day with the 55-degree club when the bounce configuration wasn't very sophisticated, you had to do a lot of different things. You had to pick the club up more abruptly. You had to take it outside, try to cut across the ball a little bit, try to hold it off. And now, because you have so much loft, and, and these different these different applications of bounce that you can choose from, you can make a pretty standard golf swing and hit a bunker shot. You don't have to do crazy things because the equipment does it for you. So I think most amateurs that come to me now are trying to do too much in the bunker, trying to do it way too open. They're trying to cut across the ball too much. They've got a ton of loft in their hands because they're trying to cut across with an open face with a lot of loft. The ball doesn't go anywhere. Okay, so that's one thing. Second thing is, you know, they generally try to take one inch, two inches, or three inches of sand behind the golf ball. I mean, I think if you look at the tour player, they're taking a half an inch, an inch, an inch and a half. So, you know, you get too much sand in between the club and the ball, and you, you almost can't swing hard enough when you have six of the years of off, and they can't advance the ball far enough. So three things control distance out of the bunker. How much off you're applying to the shot, how much sand you're displacing, and the size of the golf swing. So the two greatest short game teachers in the world are Dr. Trial and Mr. Error. So get in your bunker at your club, play around with how much sand you're taking, play around with how much space you're taking using, and the size of your swing. But here's the real key. Make a standard pitch shot swing. Make a standard pitch shot swing. Don't get radically open. You know, don't make, you know, don't try to swing across the ball so much, cut, cut across the golf ball, open the face slightly, pick a spot behind the golf ball, an inch and a half behind the golf ball, two inches behind the ball, and make a standard pitch shot swing, and you'll be a lot more successful. Tom, let's go back to, uh, to the tee and talk about driving the golf ball. And for most of us, we'll never know what it feels like to bomb it over 300 yards like the guys out on tour. I know all the talk is about distance. But for people like me, you might hit a 2.30 off the tee. Should we be looking for a driver that's going to give us an extra 10, 15 yards more of distance or one that's going to help us hit it straighter so our second shots are more from the short grass versus getting a little more distance and maybe ending up in the rough or worse in the trees? So here, for all you folks out there listening tonight to the greatest golf podcast in the world with Chris Mascaro, Hear this message loud and clear. <laughs> Equipment manufacturers are selling you distance. They're telling you they're selling you a driver, whoever they are, that if you buy their driver with this shaft in it, it's going to go 30 yards further. Let me let me just say this really loud and clear. That is the biggest bunch of crap I've ever heard in my life. Here's what we know. Not that a driver shouldn't be properly fit to the individual. It certainly should. And you should certainly maximize the technology of the equipment you're purchasing. But the number one reason, the number one reason that the ball goes further is if you hit it in the middle of the club face, okay? The shaft is great, head design is great, the golf ball is wonderful, but the number one fact that it will make, help you hit a, ball, hit a ball your maximum distance to your individual potential is hitting the ball in the center of the face. So, please stop swinging out of your shoes. Please start, please start Stop doing your best imitation of Bryson DeChambeau and make a good, balanced, tempoed swing and hit shots in the middle of the face of the club. So that's your distance component, period, end of story. 
Now let's talk about accuracy. It's a lot easier, folks, to play from the middle of the fairway than from the middle of the trees. If you haven't figured that out yet, you need to, you need to wrap your head around that. So for the Christmas Scarrows of the world, and by the way, for the Tom Patrys of the world, I want to hit it in the middle of the face, make a balanced motion at a great tempo, and go find my golf ball and be able to hit it on the green. And that's how I teach driving. Listen, we're not at 62 years old, at 52 years old, you know, wherever you are out there as a listener, you're not going to suddenly have the Holy Grail drop down and anoint you and add 30 yards to your golf swing. It's not going to happen. And anybody that's telling you that is lying to you, okay? Can a teacher help you get in a better position, maybe more on the inside, less over the top, help you release the club a little better, and help you find 10 yards and maybe 15? Absolutely. Absolutely they can. If the right equipment is put in that situation with that technique, will it get better? It sure will. It's not going to go 30 yards further. It's not. Don't believe it. Don't don't drink that Kool-Aid. It's just poison. <laughs> there you have it, folks. Right from the mouth of Tom Patrick. Brother, give, give uh, everybody uh, another reminder about how they can stay up to date with you and all the great things you're doing. Find you. Uh, up there in uh, Virginia, and then uh, also follow you online and on social media. First of all, that's not important. Here's what's important, folks. Get on that <laughs> that podcast voting table and make sure Mascaro's in the top 10 next time around. That's what's important right now. Vote for Mascaro. Vote for Mascaro. That's all that's important. <laughs> Who cares about Tom Patrick? Who cares? Forget Tom Patrick. Don't worry about it. Oh, we can't, we can't forget Tom Patrick. TomPatrick.com and at Tom Patrick on Twitter and Tom Patrick Golf on Instagram, folks. He is the best. And you've got uh, his YouTube channel. You need to subscribe to that as well. Get those free videos. Help your golf swing. And, uh, TP, you're the best, my friend. I love you. Looking forward to catching up with you again in a couple of weeks. Chris, I can't wait to talk to you again, pal. Have a great night with Frank and, and all your guests, Johnny McCarron, and, uh, you're the best, pal. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you. Take care, Tom. That's a great Tom Patrick. Again, TomPatry.com, P-A-T-R-I. That's the website. And then subscribe to his YouTube channel. So much great content from Tom. Also on Instagram, Tom Patrick Golf. So lots of different ways to stay up to date with him and have uh, Tom help you with your golf swing and uh, lower your scores. No one does it better than TP. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Frank Navalo, I want to remind you about a few of our sponsors starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all weather performance with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC team series is available in a variety of new color combinations so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize. Check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. 
This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is Frank Navalo. You can hear Frank broadcasting the game as part of the CBS Sports Golf Team. As you know, he is from Auckland, New Zealand. At the age of 18, he won the New Zealand Amateur Championship, becoming the second youngest player ever to win that title. He turned pro in 1979. His first professional win came at the 1982 New South Wales PGA Championship. He won the New Zealand PGA Championship twice in 1985 and 1987. He joined the European Tour in 1985 and got his first win on that tour at the 1988 PLM Open. Frank finished in the top 50 on the European Order of Merit every year from 1988 to 1996, and all he won 14 times around the world, including two Sarazen World Opens and the 1997 Greater Greensboro Chrysler Classic on the PGA Tour. He played on numerous World and Dunhill Cup teams for New Zealand and was a three-time member of the International President's Cup team. In the mid-1990s, Frank recorded top 10 finishes in all four majors, including a fourth-place finish at the 1996 Masters, a ninth-place finish at the 1994 U.S. Open, 10th at the 97 Open Championship, and 8th at the 96 PGA. Frank joined the Golf Channel back in 2004 and was a lead analyst for their tour coverage, plus their in-studio shows Golf Central and Live From. And I'm honored to have him back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Frank, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, yeah, it's been a while. So, how are you doing? I'm fantastic, Frank. How are you, my friend? Not too bad. I um, I got back uh, this morning actually because of the delay. You know, I'm glad we managed to finish on on Monday in in really what was perfect sunshine in uh, in New York and and an amazing victory for Tony Fina. It looked like it could have been John Rahm, uh, number one player in the world. The way he looked like he was faultless with about eight holes to go. You know, and Tony kept chipping away at it. Played those last four or five holes just beautifully. And Cameron Smith, too. It looked like that was going to be... I th- we thought we were going to get like another eight-hole playoff. But uh, everybody got out of dodge, so all's good that ends well. So, Frank, want to get your thoughts on Tony Finau's win. Is this, the, is this the thing that gets him over the hump and into the winner's circle more often? Uh, you would think so. There were comparisons earlier in the week, like, should he win? Would this be like David Duvall? And, um, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that because David was outstanding as an amateur, as we all know. And he got to number one in the world extremely quickly in the Tiger Woods era. So, but, but I think for Tony, with, you know, everybody talks was at 39 top tens and eight runners up. Uh, the fact that he had played Ryder Cup, I, I just think for him, his style of play, um, it's certainly going to open doors. You know, he has that big game. Uh, just listening to Tom, your, you know, your previous guest, uh, you know, distance has is, is always been important on the PGA Tour, but never more so than now because of the type of golf courses they play, the way in which they're prepared. So, you know, Tony has that, that big game that is perfect for this sort of new millennial golf. Does this make him a lock for the U.S. Ryder Cup team regardless of what happens in the next two events? I would think so, not just because of the win, but, but you know, the, the, the Ryder Cup, you know, the majority of the points are one in team play. And, um, you know, America sometimes has struggled in alternate shot, you know, when you're literally playing one ball, you can call it, you know, foursomes. 
Um, and also even in Betterball, uh, you know, you've got to find those right pairings. I mean, there's a lot of people that want to play with Tony, and he now has experience in the Ryder Cup, so a little bit of success. I, I think he can play in both formats should you need him to play both formats, obviously, as well as the singles, and I think that's why he gets the pick. And, Frank, for, for Cameron Smith, I mean, the guy played beautiful golf for 72 holes. Brilliant round on Saturday. He shot a 60 that day. And then birdie four to the last seven holes to get himself into the playoff. Can he take something away as a positive from all of those positive things? Or does that drive, you know, into the water in the playoff? Is that the thing that lingers? No, you've got to know Cameron. I actually saw him uh, on Monday night. You know, I flew out this morning, as I was saying. And you would, if you saw him and stopped and chatted to him for five minutes, you would have no idea that he just lost the biggest tournament that he had the chance of winning. Uh, he has an amazing attitude, and that's one of the reasons why he's been able to, you know, really progress so quickly. I first saw him in the Asia Pacific Amateur Championship, which I think was at Nash, uh, Nanshan Golf Course in China. And uh, the Australians had, I think it was six players that were allowed there, and he looked the smallest and probably the least most impressive of the lot. And yet he's, he's just continued to get better each and every year because he's got that hunger and that competitiveness. Um, to be honest, I actually thought, Coming down the stretch, his putt will let him down a little bit. But in the end, everybody will think of the driver that uh, that went out of bounds that you've just referred to. But no, he'll, he'll honestly he'll shake that off. Um, there's some other things that he can look at. Um, you know, 16, he made a, a, just a beautiful pitch shot to get it up and down and guarantee his birdie on the drivable par four. But he had a number of good shots, and and so it's one bad one. Obviously, it's in the playoff, um, but the, he'll flush that out. He's he's a good kid. He's uh, he's like a typical Australian in the sense that you know they're up for the challenge. And, uh, you know, Australia hasn't, doesn't have the Greg Norman or the Baker Finches, the, uh, you know, some of the players that had of yesteryear, but this new crop is actually pretty good. Even there's this young kid called Lucas Herbert that looks like he's going to get his card through the Corn Ferry Tour, um, finals. But, um, yeah, Cameron, you know, Mark Leishman, they're doing a great job to, uh, raise the flag for Australia. What about John Rahm, Frank? I mean, is a, a guy that had the tournament look like he was going to coast to a win? And then a few loose drives on the back nine cost him down the stretch. Does he look at this any differently or is because he has had such a great season? This is just, you know, Hey, this one just got away. No, he's going to be angry and he should be. Um, he's the best player in the world. Um, I, I think it'd be pretty hard to get people to disagree with that. Would have been his first one since the U.S. Open, but it's just the style of game that he plays. I mean, he, he's a great driver of the golf ball. I know he found a couple of fairway bunkers those last couple of holes. Um, he's solid. He doesn't have a weak, and his game translates to you look. Look where he's played. Um, the, all the big events this year, the Players' Championship and the four major championships. He's basically in contention in each one of those. So five totally different golf courses, very very diverse in the style of play adapted. And he wins his U.S. Open on the biggest track of all, which is you know Torrey Pines. So he has a, should have won Memorial. Obviously COVID there, and COVID took him out of uh, the Olympics. So if you really put it in perspective and the fact that he hadn't really played over the last month, yeah, he'll be disappointed because he didn't finish the job. But everybody knows he's good enough. Um, you know, he's, you know, we're, we're once again in that sort of era, a bit like what we were, I'm going to say six years ago when Tiger was out of the game. And we saw the Jordan Spees, Justin Thomas, all of them emerge. Well, obviously we're, we're, we're Tigerless again. And John Rahm is one of those ones that really stuck his hand up and said, you know, come get me and I'm the guy to be. Frank Roy McElroy finds himself now on the bubble to make it through to East Lake. He's ranked 28th in FedEx Cup points right now. How big is this week for him? 
Um, yeah, honestly, I thought he was going to play well these playoffs, but um, you know, I know he's he's had some changes in camps. You know, he's worked with Brad Fax in these last couple of years. You know, Brad's tremendous with the putter, but I don't think it's translating well to the way in which Rory putts and approaches to the, the putting. Um, when you look at the way Rory putts um, and the way the great players like the Nicholases and the Tiger Woods have putted in their careers, you know they, they don't. You can't just putt like this. Uh, it doesn't really matter whether it, whether it misses or not because these are the guys that are there each and every week. And I know he's hooked up with Bob Rotella as well, who's you know good at his job. But sometimes even getting the right people, if they're not the right ones for you, um, and right now it's it's not showing out there. We've all you know you've heard me over the last ten or fifteen years. Rory in full flight is wonderful. But, you know, now it's seven years since his last major championship. I know he's only 31. I mean, he's still incredibly young. But it's frustrating because you see him out there. Um, we talked about John Rahm's bounce in his stride on, uh, on, sun- on Saturday and Sunday when he had the lead. And that's what Rory was always like. That body language isn't there at the moment. I know he's a dad. Now he's also the sort of um, token spokesperson for the PGA Tour. Uh, for want of a better term, because, you know, he's very level-headed. But, you know, there's a lot of expectations on him. But personally, I just want to see Rory play the golf that he's still capable of. And at the moment, he's not close to that. Frank, I want to take you back to your win on the PGA Tour at the 97 Greater Greensboro Open. You won, you mentioned Brad, Brad Faxon. You won that tournament in a playoff over Fax. Um Got into it with a final round, 67, which was tied for the best round of the day. What do you remember about that final round and winning that tournament? Um, a lot of things, really. I mean, it's weird. I, I'd won two Sarazen Opens in Atlanta, and apparently that didn't, uh, against pretty good fields. And apparently that didn't count. You know, it was, I feel for a lot of the uh, foreign players that play over here because their careers, to some extent, uh, are apparently non-existent until they actually win a tournament. So... There was a little bit of, um, you know, there was a chip on my shoulder, I guess, for that. I played, uh, as you mentioned, you know, in, I think in 96 in the majors, only Greg Norman and, and Nick Felder had lower stroke averages in the four majors in 1996. That's why I took up my card. So to me, you know, I thought I was good enough to win, but I'd just been diagnosed with inflammatory polyarthritis about six weeks before that. And to be honest, I wasn't going to play. And then Ernie else had persuaded me. And he said, oh, you know, I think it was at Forest Oaks. He goes, oh, that, that golf course is perfect for you. Well, unbeknown to me, um, when I got there, Ernie had never even played that golf course. So um, <laughs> it sort of wound me up, and it was just a way to get there. And, and then, the, then the rains, it was one of those things. It turned out to be magical. And, and, and then later on in the year, I think I, I finished second to, you know, Tiger at uh, the Western Open and, and really had it. Uh, I think I broke the money record technically for rookies, but they wouldn't give it to me because uh, they changed the rule you, if you played more than 10 events. But you know, it was bittersweet, Chris, really, because, you know, I'd had the diagnosis that in the end was going to cut my career short. Um, but yeah, I, I remember it now because, you know, I won that. I remember winning in Hong Kong and, uh, Mexico. So, but that was my, my last winning year, really, 97. I won three times that, that, that year around the world. But, um, it's good. I, you know, I was back there with the Greensboro people just three weeks ago and, and they're fun. You know, we, we get there and, and, uh, you know, Friday night, especially with CBS now, they, we have like a little wine dinner. Um, it's very intimate. It's a lot of fun. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I can actually contribute to the event now in a different way as a broadcaster. But, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's good. I, I have the trophy. Um, all my trophies are sort of hidden away because I, 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 uh, if you went around my house right now, you wouldn't think I ever play golf. So the house looks a little different. Wow. And, Frank, one thing that people 
may not know or remember about you and your career, you got hit by an errant golf ball just above the left eye one day outside of your home at Lake Nona back in 1998. How much did that impact your career? Um, yeah, that, uh, that along with the uh, diagnosis from the Mayo inflammatory polyarthritis, which in those days with the medication, um, you know, you pop up and, and uh, you know, I developed back issues and that. But, yeah, the coup de grace really was I just got married um, in, uh, in the Bahamas in 1998 um, and just came back uh, with my daughter and my wife. And uh, I was getting ready for the PGA Championship, and it's where I live at Lake Nona. And I used to live behind the seventh tee, and I promise you, I, I, four ladies were teeing off, so I thought, I don't want to go down there. I might get hit. So it was 5.30 at night. I had a golf cart with, loaded up with golf balls, and I just wanted to hit some balls in the evening to try and get ready. So I drove across the golf course, and I saw this guy. Uh, he was, he's a urologist, believe it or not. Dennis Weaver was his name, and uh, Doc Weaver. And, and he was teeing off. I could see, so I stopped. Anyway, I waited. Then he went back to the golf cart. Well, unbeknown to me, you know, Florida's pretty flat, too. Uh, he'd gone back to change drivers, and he was, because it was, you know, in the early evening. So there's one little hump in the, in the fairway by the second tee on the car park. And lo and behold, that's where I was. It's about 80 yards off the tee, and he beamed me with a driver. He's about a five or six handicapper in those days. Yeah, it split it open 30 stitches. And it, and it hurt the orbit of my eyes. So, you know, chipping and putting were quite the same, but it took me, I gotta be, I gotta be honest, cause I mean, I was bitter, twisted and miserable for about 10 years after that, but uh, I'm nearly over it. Put it that way. Nearly. <laughs> right now, you're obviously an outstanding broadcaster. I'm, I'm curious, how, how did you get comfortable being in front of the camera and, and being in what, 90 million homes every week? Who, who said I was comfortable? Well, you certainly look. I'm still on. No, no, I appreciate that. No, I don't think you. Um, it's a bit like golf, you know. If you if you really knew, I, I remember reading a book. David Llewellyn, who was uh, Ian Wisdom's partner in the World Cup in Hawaii, uh, I'm going to say 1988, pretty close to there. He gave me a book because called the uh, the Inner Game of Basketball, and um, it, it really it's it's. You know, if if you knew you were going to make the shot, then you don't have to hit it. So if you knew you were going to drive it down the middle of the fairway, you really wouldn't have to hit your drive. If you knew you were going to hit the putt and it was going to go, and you really wouldn't have to do it. So the reason why you you actually try and hit the shot is is because no matter how confident you are, you still got to do it to see if you really could. And and TV's not that much different. You know, you can try and do all the right things and be prepared, but if you are not sort of shaking your boots in a good way, then you're not ready and you shouldn't be there. I think you, you've got to expect the unexpected. Um, I might look comfortable, but it's, you know, it's the quintessential duck on top of the water. You know, you might be calm, but you're paddling like crazy. Yeah. I've, to this day, I've never, I've never felt comfortable before a show. I, and to be honest, I don't want it. Uh, because it, it, it keeps you alert. You know, it's like when you're watching the scoreboard. If you're very complacent, you won't notice that somebody's slipped in three birdies in a row or made an eagle or triple or, or whatever. I actually think that's the beauty of broadcasting, to be honest. I've watched, you know, getting to, to work with Jim Nance, who's, who's the best in the business in that role. I watched him grind last year in the hotel during the pandemic with his, his, uh, statistician, Tommy Spencer, going through every conceivable outcome. Um, and obviously, you know, Dustin Johnson was the, you know, was the odds on favorite to win there, but they went through every scenario, whether the appearance could be there, what their names were. You know, you don't get that good by accident. Frank, you talk about prepared. I'm sure it's not as easy as you make it seem, but talk about 
the preparation and the work you put in while you're waiting, you know, to interview a player after his or her round or when you're calling a tournament. Talk about the sort of non-glamorous side of the business and the preparation. <laughs> well, yeah, fortunately, I don't have to interview people like Steve Sands or Amanda Balionis, but, um, you know, I've, I've done a few over the years. I remember actually doing a sit down with Rory and yeah, there's a lot of legwork. You know, I actually found out that Rory, for example, had, you know, three best friends. And, you know, you're always trying to disarm someone. It was a long-form interview. So I knew he was expecting all sorts of things. And he was incredibly gracious because we were meant to have him for about an hour. It was actually to do with the golf pass when it was first released to the golf channel. I was still working for them. And, you know, once he got comfortable and once, you know, because I knew his parents, I knew stories about them as well. So once it just became about him talking to me, um, and he could trust the questions because I'd done my homework. And I took, I, one of the questions was literally, I, I named the three guys, one of which was Harry Diamond, who's coming from now. I said, if they were here today, you know, what would, what, you know, what would you think that they would say about you? And I said, actually, hang on a minute. Let's reverse that. What would you say about them? So I gave him a chance to at least think about it, but he realized that it was, it was just taking a trip down um, memory lane. And, and I think that's the best thing. That's what the Amandas and the, and the Steve Stans do so well. Is, is they really do know the subject. Um, as an announcer, uh, you know, when I did like live proms, it's different. You know, I would look more at the golf point of view from, from like 5,000 feet. But I think as an announcer, you're trying to, you know, look at them. For example, I always use the, the analogy of Dustin Johnson and Zach Johnson. They had the same surname, but they play golf radically different. So if they had 260 yards into a par five over water, it's a radically different shot for Dustin as opposed to what it is for Zach. And you've got to know that little nuance. So you can't just say, hey, it was a, you know, Dustin might hit it to 30 feet, which is a good shot. If Zach hits it from that distance over water to 30 feet, it's a hell of a shot. So, yeah, it's, it, I, I guess some of it comes to you because you just keep watching. Uh, you know, I'm a viewer as well, so I have the best seat in the house. And, and you know, the first – I know you've interviewed him – the first uh, producer I ever worked with, Keith Hirschland. You know, I learned um, – he learned – he taught me the right way, I think, and it was the hard way. And then the first host I ever sat next to was Jim Kelly. So he helped, um, you know, really find up some things. And Jim's a friend of mine to today. He'll ring every now and again and, and well, actually not every now and again on a regular basis. I'll send a text and, and just always sort of help point me in, in the right direction. So it's a, it's a lot of help from a lot of good people. Frank, one more before I let you go. And talk about the Nabilo Foundation and the work you're doing to help kids around the Orlando area. Yeah, that's uh, my wife. She doesn't get enough credit for that, Selena. Uh, she wanted to contribute to uh, the community. And um, so if she it was actually she wanted to help older people first because she always thought that people turned a blind eye to that. But, you know, there's a lot of um, areas in Orlando. We, we're lucky to live in a very, very good one. But, you know, when you live in a place, we've lived here for, for 26 years now, you want to contribute in more ways than one. So, uh, you know, our foundation assisted school, school that used to be a Title One school, you know, Title One school that was a, like a D rated school. It's now like an A or a B rated school. I haven't seen the last ratings, to be honest. And, but the big thing is we started off like uh, our shopping, which is over Christmas. And we just wanted to make sure we could take, you know, kids that wouldn't get a, normally a good Christmas. Um, to, you know, we'd take them to Target because they're associated with us, and it was $100 a child, basically. They could bring their, their other siblings with them. But it's not just that. We would get volunteers to do the shopping with them. And they're people from all sorts of life, doctors, lawyers. I mean, so for them, it was also helping them because 
the people that could influence their community that they were getting to see what these kids were like and how well uh, well taught they were at school, how they were doing. And my wife also has a um, a group of ladies called the Mustang uh, Mentors. They go and they and they read and they assist in the schools. So it's not just you know a couple of events and you know wipe your hands and you're done. Um, it's a 12 month thing. I've, I'm incredibly proud of uh, of what she's done. I and mean, we've been going now, I think, 15 plus years. So it's it's a it's a very much a community thing. But, you know, thanks for bringing it up. But uh, yeah, she's she works tire- tirelessly on that, and and I uh, I assist. So Frank, for folks that might want to get involved with the foundation, and then also stay up to date with the other great things you're doing. Let them know how they can find the foundation, support it online, and then follow you on social media. Well, yeah, hey, I'm not that good on Twitter these days, so uh, I'm probably the worst follower, really. So uh, you, can, you can hear me on TV, you can yell at me or whatever, but um, the foundation <laughs> is thenovelofoundation.com. Yeah, so hopefully I won't annoy them too much going forward. But, but yeah, I, I have uh, frank underscore novelo.com. Um, sorry, uh, at Twitter, at Frank underscore Nobolo. But, um, yeah, yeah, send me a note. Um, I've actually used Twitter more to catch up with some people over the years, to be honest. But, yeah, you know, I, I sadly, I'm not a big fan of social media. I think with a lot of things that have, have happened over the, especially the last 10 or 15 years, you know, kids, um, you know, the way they feel growing up, um, it, it's, if it's used properly, it's a great tool. But sadly, you know, it's like a knife. You know, you can cut a piece of steak with it, but you can kill someone with it. And I just think at the moment we've got to, Somehow do a little bit, a uh, little bit better with that because you know kids going through their their early days and teens, it's um, it's 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 sort of uh, it's not the best things for them right now. Yeah, my thing. But well, Frank, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of this show. I hope uh, we get the privilege of uh, catching up with you a little bit sooner next time. No, most definitely, Chris. Hey, you're doing a great job. I know you're a lover of golf and the game and the people involved. So. You're the unsung hero, my friend. Well, actually, not unsung. Everybody knows who you are, but they just don't beat your drum enough. So thank you, my friend. Well, I appreciate you saying that. That means a lot to me. Take care, Frank. Stay safe. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Cheers. That's the great Frank Novello. And again, the Novello Foundation online. Go check that out, folks. Doing great stuff for the kids in and around the Orlando area. But uh, Frank is just one of the treasures of the game of golf uh, from his playing days to what we get to uh, watch him do now or listen to him do now and watch um, makes the game so much better. Right. One of the things that uh, that I love about Frank and I love for all those years that uh, another great friend of the show, uh, Ben Wright, did is uh, paint the picture and, and make uh, watching the game so much better and so much richer for all of us based on the content and the way that he frames up the, the tournaments that he does. So Frank's a, a wonderful man, and uh, hopefully we get the privilege of having him back on the show again real soon. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Scott McCarran, I want to remind you about a few more of our sponsors, starting with our good friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, I'll tell you what, let me reset your thinking, because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour, an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent tests prove it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com and get Square's 30-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code DISTANCE for $20 off. Remember, 
Distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. I also want to give a shout out to another new sponsor, Bionic Gloves. Do what you do better with Bionic Gloves. Whether you're looking to own the golf greens, improve your workouts, or get your hands dirty in the garden, Bionic Gloves has you covered. Designed with a hand specialist, Bionic Gloves feature patented innovations that help improve your grip. The strategically placed anatomical relief pads also prevent calluses and blisters, while the web and motion zones allow for greater dexterity and flexibility. Head over to BionicGloves.com to find the perfect glove to up your game. And I want to remind you about our friends over at Zexio. Back in 2001, Zexio Strixon began making clubs for men and women, and they've improved on those clubs every year since. I was fit for a set of Zexio 10 irons by a great fitter on their staff. He got me dialed in, and they feel and perform fantastically. They are by far the best irons I've ever played. They are light. I have picked up nearly 5 miles per hour in swing speed, and they're deadly accurate. Every part of Zexio clubs are made exclusively for Zexio. Like I say, everything is light and balanced. Swing weights are made to give us the highest smash factors. The best part of getting fit for Zexio clubs is hitting it higher and straighter than ever before, changing your game. Zexio Clubs are a Golf Digest Hot List Gold winner for 2021. Congratulations to Zexio Ambassador N.B. Park for her five-stroke victory earlier this year at the Kia Classic. It was her 21st victory, and she did it using Zexio 11 Woods and X Irons. Ernie Ells and top instructor Martin Hall are Zexio Ambassadors as well. See why and how Zexio can help improve your game. Go online to ZexioUSA.com. That's XXIOUSA.com and pick which set is right for you. Okay, now next on the tee with me is 2019 Champions Tour Player of the Year, Scott McCarran. Let me remind you about Scott's background. He's from Sacramento, California, played his college golf at UCLA, where he graduated with his degree in history. Following graduation, he stepped away from the game for four years to help his father with their family golf apparel business. Came back and turned pro in 1992 and earned his way onto the PGA Tour in 1994. He won three times on the PGA Tour at the 1996 Freeport-McDermott Classic by five strokes over Tom Watson. At the 1997 Bell South Classic here in Atlanta by three strokes over David Duvall, Lee Jansen, and Brian Henninger. He repeated at the Bell South Classic in 2001, winning by a stroke over Mike Weir. He's partnered with Bruce Litsky and later Brad Faxon to win the Templeton Shark shootout three times. He and Brian Henninger paired up to win the Fred Meyer Challenge in 2002. Since joining the Champions Tour, he's won 11 times so far, one of those being right back here in Atlanta at the Mitsubishi Electric Classic. In 2019, Scott won the Charles Schwab Cup on the Champions Tour, plus the Jack Nicklaus Trophy for being their Player of the Year. And he also won the Arnold Palmer Award for being the Moneyless winner as well. And I'm so honored to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Scott, how are you, my friend? Thanks for coming back on the show. Well, I'm doing great, Chris. You know, you could keep going. That sounded like I've been playing some good golf over the last few years. Like, that, that was awesome. <laughs> you won a thing I'm or two, my friend. Right now, you, though, uh... But that sounded good. <laughs> I don't know. I, and that's one of the questions I have for you. I mean, I know you've had foot and ankle surgery. But I also saw the video of whatever that contraption is. You've got your left leg in, but you got the peg on the ground. 
Looks like you could go out there and still play based on what I see in your simulator. Oh, I think I could. You know, I've, I've hit a few balls. My my wife's now got me out there trying to teach her and help her a lot. So I go out there with her and I'll maybe hit a few balls. I think I could, I think I could shoot around even par with this thing on. It's called the iWalk 3.0, which is uh, one better than the iWalk 2.0. And I <laughs> I can hit balls with it. I can hit balls with it. I can climb up and down stairs, you know. Uh, makes me feel like kind of a normal person instead of just on this knee scooter scooting around. I got four more weeks of uh, no weight bearing, so it's kind of been uh, been a little tough. Um, but I'm but I, we're having fun and I'm enjoying uh, being at home right now. So how is the foot in the ankle? How are you feeling? You know, um, it's feeling pretty good. Luckily, uh, I had a great surgeon uh, and Dr. Carol Jones over at the Ortho Clinic here in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, he did a great job. Him and his team. Um, we had to do, you know, there was quite a bit of damage in there. I completely torn the uh, perineal brevis tendon and the longus. Um, so they had to tie those back together. There was a marble-sized bone chip in the ankle. And they also, the main part, they had to realign the foot. So we had to break my heel and shift it over because I have such a high arch, Ooh. which was putting so much uh, pressure on that outside tendon on the left ankle. Um, and that's the reason why I've got some screws in there now, but that's the reason why I can't uh, put any weight on it for six weeks. But, uh, you know, the, it's, it's healing up fine. I met with a physical therapist, uh, at Heller last week and we're starting to, uh, some do some physical therapy. Uh, Dan Jansen, uh, Olympic gold medalist is one of my best friends is my trainer. We're tomorrow, we're going to start training a little bit. Even when I put this, uh, kind of peg leg, I walk on, I'll be able to at least work out and, and uh, start getting ready for, you know, the season next year. And then I'm hoping to come back uh, in the uh, third week in January at Hawaii at the uh, Mitsubishi um, Tournament Champions at Hawaii. Scott, was this something that just all of a sudden happened, or was this an injury you were trying to play through this season? Yeah, well, it, it happened uh, actually last year after the uh, Pure Insurance First Tee Tournament at Pebble Beach. Um, came home after that, uh and just my ankle uh, all of a sudden swelled up, and I thought it was gout because I, I do battle gout a little bit in my left big toe. I've had it in my right ankle before, and we kind of thought it was just gout at the time. So we were treating it um, with drugs for gout, and I had a cortisone shot in there in the subtalar joint for gout and uh, had to withdraw um, from the SAS tournament, tried to play, you know, in the last few events, and uh, it was just very difficult to swing. Um, people saw me on TV, and I basically was just swinging and hopping. Um, and it just, uh, just never got better. So I had an MRI done in uh, January of this year after Hawaii and we saw that we had the, uh, two tears. And so at that point, uh, you know, I made a decision to try to keep playing on it, you know, shoot with cortisone, take some, uh, anti-inflammatories and some pain medication when I needed to and ice it a bunch just to see if I could control it, um, and play. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't do it. I, it got to the point where, I could barely walk, I could barely swing, and it just I wasn't able to hit the golf ball and swing the way I, I normally do. So, um, but I played way too long on. I should have I should have taken taken uh, time off uh, really in February, March, and not waited as long as I did. But you know, like a lot of us athletes, we try to play through these things, and you know, I'm trying to do it for uh, you know my caddy and trying to you know make sure I'm making money for him and everyone else. So uh, you know, I played a little bit too long on it, but that happens and. Uh, but now, you know, we've got it fixed, and uh, I'm going to come back stronger than ever. And my surgeon was very, very uh, happy with the way the surgery went. So he says it's going to be feel better than it's ever felt. 
God, we are a couple of weeks now north of this year's Shaw Classic uh, on the Champions Tour, an event you won back in 2018, thanks to a final round 63 that included a hole-in-one that you jarred on 14, kind of right after Bernard Longer almost aced it as well. Take us back to that hole-in-one in the wild back nine where you and Joe Durant just kind of went back and forth. Yeah, it was a it was a great tournament. Um, I love playing up there uh, in Canada at Shaw Charity Classic, and I actually won the year before as well. So um, to win back to back Charity Classic was pretty cool. Um, but to come down the stretch and kind of battling with Joe and battling with Langer, uh, making a bunch of birdies coming down the stretch w- was a lot of fun. And then and then to have a hole in one on the back nine to to really you know win a golf tournament was something that was really cool. Um, and playing with Langer was one of my all-time heroes and one of my uh, mentors and the guy, one of the guys I really look up to was something special as well. So it, it was a great feeling. Uh, and, you know, and then to come back in 2019 there and uh, have a chance to win again, um, an eagle the last hole to look like I was going to win only out West short, get the luckiest break I've ever seen. I'm still giving him crap about that where he hit it in the middle of the lake and hit a <laughs> rock and bounced out on the green. Uh, one of the greatest breaks I've ever seen. But, you know, you need those breaks when you're going to win. So a little disappointing to lose that one because that would have been three in a row for me up the Shaw Charity Classic. They're just great people up there, and uh, I, I look forward to uh, to going back next year. And Scott, the year prior at the Allianz Championship, you and another great friend of the show, Olin Brown, plus Joe D again, you guys are all tied for the lead going into the final round. And speaking of eagling, the last hole, you eagle 18 to edge Kenny Perry and Carlos Franco to get that win. Talk about that week. Yeah, that was a long time ago. You know, uh, a great golf course, broken sound, uh, in fabulous shape. We usually get a little bit of wind, which makes it a little bit tougher. And, uh, you know, I do. I remember standing on the 18th tee um, knowing that I needed birdie to tie and eagle to win. I remember standing on that tee, and I just didn't quite have the right picture in mind on the tee. Um, and I had to back off. and. You know, a lot of times an announcer say, oh, he's back off, he's nervous. No, I just I just didn't have the right shot in mind. And and I ended up seeing the shot that I wanted to hit and felt the swing that I wanted to make. And then I got up there and just busted one right down the middle. And, um, you know, one of the longest drives I hit all week. And I was able to have seven in that par five up over the tree. But it was interesting because it was right into the setting sun. So as soon as I hit it, uh, I couldn't see it at all. And so as soon as I hit it, you know, I looked at my caddy and, and I said, where is it? And he says, looks like it's just left the pin. I said, good. Cause I hit it great. And, uh, you know, nestled up there about five or six feet and was able to make that for Eagle to, to win that tournament, which was, which was a big win for me. A, a very tough, tough golf course. Talk about that seven iron shot and just to take us through the mindset, because for so many of us, right. When we, we're obviously not pros and, and we're not used to being in that environment, in that situation. But like you just said, you know, on the tee, you knew Eagle was going to win the golf tournament. Here you are. You've hit a great drive. Now you've got a, a scoring iron in your hand. But you know, if I get this close, Eagle wins. Birdie gets me into a playoff. Par's no good. Talk about the mindset and how you can, you know, not let the negative thoughts kind of creep into your mind and execute the shot that you needed to hit right then. Sure. You know, one of the, the most important things when you're, over shots that, uh, you know, and really any shot, but certainly a shot coming on the stretch and a shot that uh, you have to win to, to pull off to win. The biggest thing is seeing what you want to do um, and then matching that, what you see to a feel in, in your swing. 
and then basically getting up and, and just letting it go. I mean, uh, I've practiced enough. I don't have to be thinking about my swing when I'm swinging. And I usually hit my best shots when I'm really not thinking about anything at all. It's more of a abstract uh, type thinking, more like a fluid motion. I don't know if you've ever read a book called Fluid Motion Factor by Steve Yellen, uh, but he really captures a lot of what it's like being in that zone. And basically being in the zone is you don't even know you're in the zone. Um, you're just kind of getting up and doing what you normally do and letting it happen. And the moment you start thinking about what you're doing or thinking about that you're in the zone or thinking about, you know, I've got to make eagle is when you come out of that fluid motion. And that's when you usually don't hit your best shot. So the mo- one of the most important things is getting up there with a plan and then just letting your mind and body execute that plan without interfering. Just kind of get out of the way, stay on the couch. Scott, it may just be my perception, but it appears like you guys on the Champions Tour are having way more fun playing the game than the guys out there on the regular tour. Is, is that accurate or is that just in my head? Well, you know, I, I think there's a couple of things, Chris, that, that uh, you might see. Um, a lot of us have already, you know, we've played the tour for many years. Um, this is kind of a bonus. We're really enjoying it. Um, we're, you know, I kind of root for the guys. If I don't win, I'm, I'm rooting for my buddies to go up there and win. Um, it's not as cutthroat, I would say, as the PGA Tour, because every year on the PGA Tour, you know, you're fighting for your job, fighting for your livelihood. Um, you're fighting to pay your mortgage, your, your kids to school, those type of things. You know, most of them on the Champions Tour, the kids are already gone. They're out of college. Um, you know, you if you've played well on the PGA Tour, you know, you've probably got a job on the Champions Tour at least for quite a few years. You're not worried about losing your, your tour card. Um, so... It, it, there does seem to really be a little more camaraderie there and maybe a little more easygoing, but, but let me tell you, I mean, I feel exactly the same trying to win a tournament and trying to be competitive as I, on the Champions Tour as I did on the PGA Tour. It's no different. And Ernie Els feels the same way. Bernard Longer feels the same way. I mean, when it comes down to it, we're trying to win a golf tournament. We feel exactly the same as we did on the PGA Tour trying to win. It's just on the Champions Tour, you're going to have, if you play well, you have more opportunities. Um, to get yourself in that position because it's a numbers game. We're only playing against, you know, 79, 81 guys each week as opposed to 156. So you're going to get in position and have a chance to win more often on the PGA Tour champions than you ever did on the PGA Tour. Got just a couple more before I let you go. And we're exactly a month away from this year's Ryder Cup matches. But one thing I've wondered, I mean, we got the Ryder Cup matches on the PGA Tour. We got the Solheim cup on the LPGA tour. We know about the amateur with the Walker cup and that sort of thing. Why don't we have something similar on the champions tour? You know, I think, I think actually you're going to see something uh, similar to that over the next few years. We we're we're in talks where I think they're announcing something that's going to be uh, kind of like a Ryder cup. And I think we, I, I don't know, it might already have been announced actually. So they are going to do that. And I think it'll be great. Um, a lot of people, you know, grew up watching a lot of us uh, play in the regular tour. And cer- certainly a lot of those guys play in the Ryder Cups and President's Cups. And I think it'll be great to see uh, some of these guys battle it out again uh, on that type of format. So you'll see it. Ah, that's good news. I can't wait for that. That'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. And Scott, uh, CBD oil is something that's becoming more and more mainstream. I-, I know your wife was taking it to recover from races that, 
she was doing, I believe you started using some CBD oil as well. Is that something that you're using to help with sleep and recovery? And, and how do you find it's working for you? You know, it's funny. I was with a company for quite a while, um, but uh, they dropped me. So <laughs> I, I, I haven't wow. found another company. Yeah, I haven't found another company that uh, that I've been comfortable using. So I'm in search of. So if there's any uh, CBD companies out there looking <laughs> for a, a Champions Tour player, call me. <laughs> Hook me up on, on Twitter or Instagram uh, because I'm looking. Because I thought it made uh, a lot of difference for me, for my sleep, for my recovery, the way I felt. Um, and I, and I like, I enjoyed taking it and I, I just have not, uh, since, since this company dropped me, I haven't, uh, found a new one. Well, Scott, before I let you go, remind our listeners and a CBD oil company that may be listening in out there how they can stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing and follow you on social media. Well, you can, you can follow me on Twitter. I really don't do too much on Instagram, but I'm going to try to do a better job at that. So you can follow, follow me at, uh, at, at Scott McCarran on Twitter, um, and then uh, on Instagram, which I haven't done a lot of, but I, I'm going to have to start doing some more of that. I don't even know what my Instagram is anymore because <laughs> I haven't done it yet. <laughs> but uh, but I, I will. My wife does a great job of uh, doing Instagram stuff, but uh, I haven't really done much of that. But you know, I, I tell you what, I've got some great sponsors, and uh, they've been amazing and, and sticking with sticking with me. You know, when I've got to take all this time off, so. Uh, PDF Trom, Mobix Labs, Tour Edge Exotics, Trump National Charlotte, Hotline Construction, Titleist Switchroy, Greg Norman Apparel, 200, and KT Tate. Thank you guys for sticking with me. It's been great. I like to get all their names out there because I do live in Mooresville, North Carolina, which is NASCAR country, and uh, those guys seem to get all their sponsors in um, every chance they get. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, Scott, I, I'm wishing you the best, my friend. I, I hope everything heals up just nice and uh and even if it didn't, I would still put my money on you uh, next season because uh, what I've seen you do with the with the peg leg, that uh, the the simulator doesn't lie, and it looks like you're striping it down the middle on that. So <laughs> I don't think anything is going to get your way, but uh, I hope you heal up well, and all the best to you and Thank your family, you. my friend. Thank you very much, and to you as well. Appreciate it. Keep doing the great work. I appreciate it. Take care, Scott. Right, yeah. That's the great Scott McCarran. And, uh, folks, you know, First of all, Scott's got the biggest forearms on the planet, and the way that he stripes the ball uh, off the tee, particularly when his uh, foot heals up, is is amazing. The guy has done uh, great stuff out on the Champions Tour, and I'm and I'm guessing there are many more wins to come in Scott McCarran's future. And I'm very excited about the potential of a Ryder Cup match for the Champions Tour. I think that's something that's missing, and uh, very excited to hear more about that. So as soon as I hear it, uh, we will certainly talk about it here on the show. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Linda Harto, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Two Under. Two Under men's performance briefs are the official underwear of the 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team, the captain and all vice captains. They are worn by more than 30 players on the PGA and Champions Tour. They are also worn by over 70 NCAA Division I colleges and 17 NFL teams. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort, fit, and performance from the golf course to the boardroom to the bedroom. Find these two under performance men's briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shields sports stores, PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Galaxy, and other fine retailers near you. Go online to twounder.com. That's the number two, 
U-N-D-R dot com. Two underperformance in your pants. Use code on the T20 for a 20% discount at checkouts. Not valid on items already on sale or NCAA license briefs. I also want to welcome a new sponsor to the show, Pine Valley Orthotics, and their founder, Stu Sakowitz. Did your feet, back, knees, and hips stop you from playing good golf or golf at all? Maybe plantar fasciitis or neuropathy is killing your golf game? Then you owe it to yourself to try a pair of Pine Valley Orthotics with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Pine Valley Orthotics are uniquely designed with an energy return system not found in any other product. When you step down, they gently spring back, relieving foot pain and stress, energizing your whole body, and they work. I love my Pine Valley Orthotics. I've got them in my golf shoes, and I've got them in my dress shoes. In fact, Stu Sakowitz, the owner, is so sure that they're going to ease your pain, he's offering a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you want better balance and stability, treat yourself to a pair of Pine Valley Orthotics today. Go to PineValleyOrthotics.com, and for a limited time, you can get these for only $99 and a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's only $99. Ease your pain, improve your game, and change your life. Only at PineValleyOrthotics.com. Okay, now next on the tee with me is Linda Harto. Linda grew up in the countrysides of Wilmington, Delaware, and Louisville, Kentucky. She took to art at the age of six. She spent the early part of her career up in Chicago, where she earned her fine arts degree from the prestigious Art Institute of Chicago. Back in the 1970s, she started selling her art, prints, and posters locally. She moved near Hilton Head in 1980. She has since become recognized as one of golf's leading artists. She's the only person to be commissioned to do annual paintings of the U.S. Open and the Open Championship by the USGA and the RNA. You can see her amazing work and purchase prints online at hardtoad.com, and that's H-A-R-T-O-U-G-H.com. And I'm honored to have her with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Linda, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, well, thank you for that great introduction. It's a pleasure to be here, for sure. Well, Linda, I want to start our time tonight by really going back to the beginning. Like I say, you, you seem to take the art at the age of six. Talk about uh, well, what drew you to art at such a young age. I think it was it was just there, you know. It was just something I did and my earliest memories, really. And I didn't realize that not everybody did that until around six. And then that just sort of defined it to me, and I thought, oh, okay, I'm an artist. So <laughs> it really <laughs> defined the rest of my life, for sure. <laughs> And like I said, you, you moved around a lot, you know, from Wilmington to Louisville, then obviously up mm-hmm. to Chicago. What had you on the move? Well, my father was a chemical engineer, so he switched jobs quite often. And uh, I went to school in Chicago, and I came down here in South Carolina. And I've been here since 1980, so longer than anywhere. <laughs> And, and Linda, who are your artistic influences? So, you know, the people that you admired and maybe the folks that pushed oh, wow. you in this sort of artistic direction? Well, I had a lot of great teachers, and I went to University of Louisville for a while, and there were some really good teachers there. And then I went to the Skowhegan School of Painting and Sculpture in Maine. And from there, I went to the Art Institute of Chicago. So I had a lot of really great influences, but as far as 
the really famous artists, I guess I'd have to say Edwin, Edward Hopper and George O'Keefe and, oh gosh, all the way back to the old masters, Monet, all of them. <laughs> you know, they were all in. Linda, talk about those days in the 70s of selling your art locally there around Chicago. What was that like? Well, there was just a whole lot of really great art fairs. And I just thought, you know, I really didn't want to teach. And I didn't, there wasn't much really to do to make a living from art, but just paint and go out and sell it. So <laughs> that's kind of what I did when I realized the art fairs you know, watched them, and I saw that people were doing well at them. And I thought, well, I could do this. So I just did. I just jumped right in there, and I did a number of art fairs every season, and I did quite well with it, really. I I did some work through galleries, but mostly it was direct sales, which taught me a lot. and It was very interesting work, too. I have to say, traveled around the country a little bit to some of the art fairs that were in different regions, but mostly I stuck around Chicago area. So when did interest spark up in golf and golf landscapes? Golf, well, when I moved down here, I was in a gallery on Hilton Head and someone from Augusta National saw my landscapes and uh, they put me in touch with the two pros then, you know, Dave Spencer and Bob Kletke, and this was in 1984, and they asked me if I could paint a golf course, and I said, sure. <laughs> so that's when it started. I went there, and I painted the 13th hole for the first time, and um, they I had never printed any of my paintings up to that point, and they took it and had it printed, and we sold the prints at the 85 Masters. And I thought, wow, this is this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I, no I did, yeah. <laughs> so I did that one. That was the 13th, and then I did the next year. I did the 16th, and then I did the 18th. And by that time, I thought, well, you know, there's really something to this. And I went to a PGA show in 1988, and then I started getting commissions from other clubs from my work through Augusta. And it just, pretty much, that's all I was doing by 1988. I was just 100% golf from then on, and still is. As my listeners will tell you, Linda, Augusta National is my favorite place on the planet. You obviously got to spend a lot of time there. Um, I did. Talk about your experiences that uh, being in and around the National, and do you have a favorite hole that uh, that you enjoy? Well, Amen Corner, of course. You know, that's the most iconic views on the whole course. And the 13th hole, I painted about six times just that one hole. But uh, I've done a number of different views and different prints, and there's just a lot there as far as, you know, beautiful views. Of, and I enjoyed it. I've, I've seen it change so much, though, since, well, 1985 Masters. Now it's just like a completely different place. <laughs> but it's it's 
been interesting to be part of it, to say the least. Have you gotten to spend time in other places that most of us will never see, whether it's in the clubhouse or some of the cabins or other pieces of that property outside of just the golf course? At Augusta? Yeah. Well, yeah, I've yes. been in some of the hospitalities. I've, you know, worked for the different companies. And, uh, yeah, I've been pretty much all over <laughs> Augusta National. I, I know it pretty well. I know all the little back trails behind the holes and, you know, getting pictures and spending a good bit of time there to get the uh, photographic reference that I need. And I've even been there in the summer and in the fall at different years, but in the winter. So I've been there all seasons and all seen it in all different lights. And, Lindy, talk about the process that you go through for your paintings. Are you mm -hmm. sitting out there on a golf course like Augusta National or Pebble Beach on a day when no one else is out there, early when no one else is out there? Do you use photographs? What's the process you go through? Yeah to get your paintings done? Well, if it's a course I haven't been to, of course, I like to see the whole course first, how it's played, just to get a feeling of it, and then uh, kind of zero in on the holes. And I, and I talk to the people and ask them what's their most memorable hole, you know, what do they think of? And then I just try to find... The one, if I'm only doing one painting of that whole course, I have to find that one hole that kind of sums up its character. Maybe the club's house is in it. It just depends. And uh, then I have to find the right light for that hole. So I usually get there at dawn. And there's not too many people out there then. <laughs> and that's my favorite light, I guess, morning and the late afternoon. But, uh, you know, I kind of stay out of the way pretty much and just watch the hole and watch how the light changes and take a lot of pictures. And then when I get back to the studio, I just study them all until I find the right combination. Uh, put it all together somehow and it all comes together. <laughs> <laughs> And Linda, like I mentioned in your intro, you are the only mm -hmm. person to be commissioned by the USGA and the RNA to do annual paintings mm -hmm. of the U.S. Open and uh, the Open Championship. How did that come about? Well, at that 1988 uh, PGA show, I got in touch with uh, uh, Bob Pringle in Scotland, and he was a uh, art, uh, golf art, or no, well, golf antique dealer. And he also handled antiquities in the golf art area as well. And he was looking for someone to do some good paintings, you know, now. <laughs> and so we got, we sort of went into business and he was a member of the RNA and he introduced me there. And so that's when we started the Open Championship Series. This was in 1990. And then he went over and talked to the USGA, and they thought it was a great idea, too. So <laughs> I started the U.S. Open Championship Series in 1990 as well. And I did the whole rotation of the Open Championship 
and then I started doing the U.S. Opens, and I did them for the next 25 years. Wow. So that, yeah. <laughs> really. So, Linda, do you play? Do you do you enjoy playing golf? I am an avid watcher. I don't have time <laughs> to play. <laughs> I appreciate it on the same level. I, it's a discipline. Uh, I think so is painting, and I I see it that way. You know, I just love to watch the golf. I li- love to watch anyone play, but me for sure. I played a little when I was young, but. Mostly, I was involved in uh, art, and I did some horseback riding back then too. So I was I had a pretty full schedule, and I just more appreciate it. My father was avid, avid golfer <laughs> all his life. <laughs> Do you have a favorite, favorite property or course that that you enjoy spending time at? And you know whether it's Doing multiple uh, paintings or just appreciating the landscape? Is there a favorite that you have? Well, Augusta, of course. Uh, but I love the Scottish and the Irish courses. I love that combination of the natural landscape and and the contours of the course. Are just I just love that combination and the wildness of it. They're all different. That's what makes it so exciting to do is how the landscape is so different at every course. They all have their own character. Linda, talk about what the Academy of Golf Art is. Uh, Yeah, that was formed uh, because there were a number of us that were were, um, creating this golf art, and we thought we would form this organization to help raise awareness for the genre uh, and help bring collectors together with the different artists. So we formed the Academy of Golf Art. You can find that online at academy.org, academyofgolfart.org. Uh, we have a number of artists, and occasionally we have some exhibitions and We've had a, quite a few at the Morris Museum of Art in Augusta, Georgia, and uh, you know, it's it's been nice, you know, and, and I think it brings recognition to golf art too. So, Linda, are there courses you haven't been to yet, or one you oh, might be yeah. looking forward to painting? <laughs> yeah, there's quite a few that are on the kind of the bucket list, but. Uh, you know, it doesn't. It takes me a very long time to do these paintings. Uh, I can only get the you know, most three or four done a year, and uh, I don't know. Uh, I think I'd like to do some things that uh, uh, Band and Dunes is really attractive, and there's so many over in Scotland. I've been to a lot of them. I've even photographed, but there's just so much time in life, you know, I can't get them all done. <laughs> I'd love to do Cypress Point. I mean, there's courses in Australia, New Zealand. I mean, gosh, you know, they're they're everywhere. They're beautiful. Right. And Linda, on Friday, October mm-hmm. the 1st, you're going to be participating in a golf art symposium up in Monroeville, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, which is the next town over from where I'm from which is Penn oh, Hill, really? but okay. 
Yeah. T- talk about that event <laughs> and how our listeners might be able to see you there. Uh, that's the Golf Historical Society. Um, they're having their 50th annual meeting. And, um, yeah, there's all kinds of events, and they're putting together what kind of a uh, a group of artists are going to exhibit there during their little convention, and uh, then they're having that symposium, which should be really interesting for sure. And that'll be that weekend, uh, September 30th through October 3rd, I think. Right. Well, Linda, remind our listeners <laughs> again about your website. Uh, plus right. how they can follow uh-huh. you and uh, keep up to date with the stuff you're doing on social media. Yeah. Well, of course, there's Facebook and uh, Twitter and then uh, the website, which is just harto.com, H-A-R-T-O-U-G-H. And we do a lot of uh, giveaways. We do a guess the winner at a lot of the PGA Tour events. Like we'll be doing one for the tour championship and doing one for the, uh, you know, the Ryder Cup, of course. And uh, it's just you just try to guess the winner, and if you guess, you win a print. So you have to sign up for the email to get the the guess the winner email. But it's kind of fun. Everybody likes to do that. No doubt. I know. I'll yeah. be I'll be participating. My goodness. You get a, uh, a Linda Harto print? You kidding me? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind well, of fun. Well, Linda, it has been wonderful having you as part of the show tonight. I hope you'll come back sometime, update us on all the great oh, things sure. you're doing. Let us know about the new works you've got going and uh, things you might be doing on your website. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun having you as part of the show tonight. Well, I appreciate it very much. Very much so. Thank you. You bet. Stay safe, Linda. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Take care. See you, Linda. That's the great Linda Harto. And again, H-A-R-T-O-U-G-H is the spelling of her last name. And Harto.com is the website. Folks, you got to see these paintings and the prints and the posters and everything that she's got available on her website. Truly outstanding stuff. It's easy to see why. Uh, folks from the Augusta National, USGA, and RNA would commission Linda to do their paintings for the U.S. Open, for the uh, Open Championship, and then for all of these wonderful golf courses because her work's just outstanding. So you'll be um, you'll be amazed at what you see on her website. And then, like I say, the opportunity to go on her site and maybe win one, a print, um, or just order one for yourself because they're absolutely outstanding stuff. So. Very much looking forward to having Linda back as part of the show. And a shout-out to Sally Sportsman, who connected Linda and I. Thank you, Linda, for putting the interview together. You're right. She's fantastic. So really looking forward to having Linda back as part of the show. Before I close up shop tonight, folks, I want to let you know that tickets are on sale now for the Tour Championship here in Atlanta at East Lake Golf Club. The tournament will be held September 2nd through the 5th. Eastlake, folks, is one of the most prestigious and beautiful golf courses in the country. If you've never been to the tournament, you're going to be wowed by the course, the amenities, and how well you're treated there. Go online to tourchampionship.com and get your tickets to watch the top 30 players on tour this season decide who will be the FedEx Cup champion and who walks away with the $15 million first place check.
All right, folks, it's time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. My sincere thanks go out to Tom Patrick, Frank Navalo, Scott McCarran, and Linda Harto for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And scheduled to join me next week are good friend Dave Stockton Jr. will be back. One of the top instructors in the game, Jonathan Yarwood, will make a second visit here with me on Next on the T. As will LPGA legend Jane Blaylock. Really looking forward to catching up with Jane. And Dr. Bern Bernacki, co-vice president of the First Tee of Pittsburgh and vice president of the Golf Heritage Society will be joining me as well. So it's going to be a good one, folks. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great podcasting sites and apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio. If you have a favorite podcasting site or app, we're probably on it. Just go to the search bar and type in Next on the T. You'll probably find us on there as well. Folks, thanks again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. I really appreciate the fact that you continue to make Next on the T a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.